The True Ambition Podcast with John Zink is brought to you by IT Avalon. IT Avalon, IT staffing and professional services done right. Visit our sponsor at itavalon.com. Now, welcome to True Ambition. Everybody, welcome to the True Ambition Podcast. My name is John Zink, and uh, I'm honored today to be joined by uh, my friend, uh, Robin Glasgow. And uh, where are you joining me from today? I am joining you from, I like to call it District 1, aka the uh, nation's capital on this fine, rainy, gloomy day. <laughs> Well, it's kind of uh, kind of gloomy here in California today too. So uh, uh, she is the CEO and founder of uh, Bamboo Roots. Yeah. And uh, talk about Bamboo Roots a little bit. What do you, what do you guys do? So um, I like to say we help leaders get unstuck. So um, having been, having I call myself a retired corporate executive. Um, or actually a recovering corporate executive. I left uh, corporate America after about twenty seven years back in 2018. And it was because of a failure of leadership, being just pissed off with the pace and rate of change happening in healthcare, the industry that I spent most of my, all of my career in. And I I just, I I figured I could do more damage, do more good on, on the outside than on the inside. So started my company and uh, we help folks from so, for example, my latest client was with Walmart to help them launch their innovation lab, uh, help them get going on a number of uh, medical centers starting in Georgia. <clears throat> and now I'm working with a company called BioIQ, and they are a diagnostic uh, virtual lab, if you will. Virtual lab, that sounds very interesting. But it's self-testing at home for health screening, particularly in COVID. That's much needed. So. Well, that's awesome. Um, now, when you're talking about the pace, I'm figuring you're saying it's a very slow pace that you were mm-hmm. tired of. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I am, um, you know, I, I, we are a quicker, better, faster, cheaper society and healthcare moves in reverse. And, um, and I'm not talking, there's definitely a lot more um, pace in terms of the clinical side, in terms of you know, curing diseases, getting a vaccine for COVID, for example. Uh, but in terms of the administrative side, the cost keeps is has gone up year over year. It's very predictable in terms of you can guarantee it's going to go up. Uh, but it, it it just moves quite slow, and that's because it's it's the I think an old mindset that a lot of um, executives have. Um, and so when I work with my, a lot of my clients. You know, there's one part of doing the work, but everything starts with shifting of mindset. So now Robin is also a published author and yep. uh, your book is called Kiss Your Dragons. Yes. Now, is this about people with bad breath? <laughs> no. So, um, you know, there's a, a person that helped actually was a catalyst to me leaving my corporate role his name is Sean Nason. Um, I actually hired him when I was the chief innovation officer at Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, to help stand up the innovation team. And we met and just like were magnets. <clears throat> and so um, he was uh, one of the folks that was in my ear about, you should probably think about leaving corporate world. And 
Um, I worked real closely with him. He and I would do a number of keynotes and um, workshops on how people can get unstuck. And we talk about mindsets. And so when we think about a dragon, dragons are these big, hairy, scary, fire-breathing things that we think about conquering. And so if we change our mindset and have more of a Daenerys, sorry, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a Game of Throner, have more of a Daenerys mindset that they, they should not necessarily be fear, but really shift your thinking about how we view fear, how we view this thing called a dragon, that we stand a chance to be able to tackle some of our fears, whether it's fear of change, fear of um, you know, going without, fear of the unknown. Uh, there's a lot of fears that most are made up in our heads. And so shifting our mindset um, to not fear or slay the dragon, but more kiss and embrace the dragon so that you can overcome and whatever fear might be in your way. And if not, you might just want to say the goddess and just <laughs> well, I, 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 everything you were just talking about um, really uh, talks to me. You know, I've, I've I've been in recovery for a while and been sober for like six years, and everything that we talk about in recovery is a thousand forms of fear. And mm. what I found out is that most people walking around in regular life are just walking around with all these different forms of fear and yeah. they are a lot of people are paralyzed by it yeah so this sounds like a great book for anybody to read and it's a short read you can find it on amazon you can pre-order it now um kiss your dragons look me up uh and you can pre-order it it'll be available on the 15th so is it uh, is it business based or is it for everybody to read it is for everybody to read. So when I was um, when I was on this journey with actually, you know, there were many stops along the journey that led me to start Bamboo Roots, and um, and actually, it's it's worth taking a step back to to talk about why it's called Bamboo Roots. So um, the first stop on the journey, or actually probably the second stop on the journey, was about fifteen maybe years ago when um, I was at Kaiser Permanente and was attending a, an internal conference that about 1500 people. And there was a guest speaker by the name of Greg Bell. He works primarily with um, the Oregon Duck football team. <laughs> but he, <laughs> he talked to them about um, watering your bamboo. And, uh, and so he talks about in terms of leadership and developing people primarily and developing skills is that, you know, bamboo is the fastest growing plant of all plants in the, in the world. And, um, and it can grow over the course of 24 hours, like, like something like 90 feet or something ridiculous like that. And it is stronger than any other plant. I mean, people use it as a source of, um, you know, building materials as part of their economic you know, you know, thriving in the economy for food, et cetera, if you're a panda. Um, and, um, and, and, but in order to get that type of unprecedented growth, you need to water it. You need to water it constantly for two to three years before you see any fruits of your labor. Mm. And again, going back to being a quicker, better, faster, cheaper um, society, we have gone away from spending the time and investing the time in, in our people 
and we want instant results. Right. I told you yesterday that you need to do this today. And, and we just don't move that fast. So if we move that fast, it's, it's not, it's at the surface level. It's not, it's not rooted. And so I always love that story. It has so many layers and levels to it, whether you're raising kids, kids at work, <laughs> kids, at, kids at home, it has so many different levels to it. And so I, I always said, I want to use that in some way, shape or form. So when I when I um, started my company, I was like, I want to call it Bamboo. And of course, knowing me, I can't do everything by the book. And so I wanted to call it different and come to find out the original spelling of Bamboo is actually how it's spelled, B-A-M-B-U. So, um, and then from the roots, as I mentioned, there's one part of um, you know, making sure you are um, making change that can last over time. Uh, but the other part of it, um, so I have a strategy and an innovation hat that I wear. The other part of the roots is that before we start solving a problem, you got to get to the root of it. You, and most people, 99 problems, there's a song about it, um, are, are solved up here. And it doesn't go down into the root of the problem. And it's like, oh, I got it. I got it. Um, but there is what I've learned from my innovation experience is that you know, there's a there's a process. There's a way to get to that root of a problem, so that you're you're spending most of your time identifying the problem. You know, if you have, I think there's a there's a quote that I suck at. So if you have like a hundred bucks, um, I'm going to spend ninety nine dollars of that to to find the identify the right problem, and then you know, then the rest of that becomes you know easier to solve. But as organizations. We solve a problem up here and you oh, I have not met one who's like two years later, three years later, two weeks later, two months later, realize they're not getting the results that they intended to get because you're likely solving the wrong problem. And again, this is a, a long way to answer your question about um, the book. Is it for business or personal? It, cr- it cuts across so many different areas. So I've the learnings that I've had along my journey that, that around this watering the bamboo, it applies to, if you're in relationships, <laughs> um, any type of relationship, business or personal, if you're raising kids, if you're caring for adults, if you're trying to um, you know, get something at the DMV, it, it works across the board. And I wish I would have learned it earlier in my career. So that's what the book is about. It's applicable to anyone who's interested in conquering something that gets in their way. Or as I like to say, if you're feeling stuck, it, it would be a good use of your time. Great. You so read it um, in a day. it's short. <laughs> so then the other thing that you're doing uh, is uh, you're the host of the pink yes. couch. Pink. <laughs> talk, yes. about, talk about the pink couch a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that is. Um, wow. So about uh, about so three years ago, September, three years ago, what, September, uh, what year are we in, 21? Um, September 23rd, 2017, one of my best friends died during childbirth. And her child, who's now um, three, survived. And she actually has two other, two older kids that are uh, about the kid, um, a little bit younger than my my kid's age. Um, and and it just floored me. It floored me that in the 21st century that a woman could die during childbirth. I mean, in this country, I, I was I was floored. And um, and then that set off a course of actions of started learning about 
wow, up to, up to uh, women of color are up to four times more likely to die during childbirth, had no freaking clue. Um, and, and I have two kids and I'm in healthcare and I work with doctors. <laughs> and oh, yeah. I'm like, how did I not know this? And then, um, you know, being Serena comes out and she had a very similar story uh, that was, you know, she would have died had she not been an advocate for herself as an elite athlete. Um, it, she would have died. And the same thing that happened to my girlfriend happened to Serena. The, the difference is um, Serena was able to be a, a advocate for herself, um, you know, knowing the history of her blood clots. The similarity between them is they're both people of color. And our girlfriend um, was Filipino, uh, but still people of color. When we walk into an office, there's a perception that's there and our concerns are not taken easy or taken um, seriously. So anyway, so that was a catalyst where I just felt like I had to do something. And then um, I was living in Boston at the time and then Congressman Joe Kennedy. Yeah, he's that Kennedy um, <laughs> related to those Kennedys. He was pulling together a, um, a small roundtable on maternal mortality. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to be a part of that. And so I was hearing the stories of so many women who have lost family members, who've lost kids, who also went through some very traumatic experiences around maternal um, mortality or maternal challenges that, that existed. And Again, I'm someone that I can't just sit idly by. So, um, you know, just given my my the roots of my family, who we are as servant leaders, I'm like, I, I have to do something. And so my my two other girlfriends, there were seven of us. Now there's six. Um, we we had always heard yeah, y'all should have your own show because we act up quite a bit. John, John knows that <laughs> I shack the fool often. <laughs> and, um, and so we just came up with the concept of, you know, we need to have a platform where we have this conversation of, of real topics impacting women that impact people of color and other vulnerable populations and, and bring, shine a light on them because it's not, they're not getting talked about. Interestingly, uh, not interestingly, um, you know, there has been a lot more visibility around maternal mortality here in the past um, five to six months, I would say, uh, and um, thankfully. And so the, the concept of the couch is that um, in my house, we'd always gather at my house um, all the time and we would all pile on my couch. And it's, you know, it's the place where you can really have real conversations, either that or a kitchen table. And so I was like, let's go with the couch where we can just sink in and have conversations. So before COVID, our intent was, and actually we did this, where we took the couch as a physical pink couch that we have, and the couch shows up wherever there's a story to be told. And so we went to Atlanta to have a conversation with, um, with uh, some NFL players around mental health. Um, we'll air that next, next month. Um, uh, we've we've went to actually back to Boston in October to have a conversation with um, Congressman Joe Kennedy again around maternal mortality. Um, we've gone many different places, so yeah, that was during COVID. But we intended to go more places to have these uncomfortable conversations about stories that matter to um, to those of us. And so now we we've kind of iterated a few times. Now we are um, we we're live. 
Uh, you can follow us, find us at the official pink couch on pretty much anything. And, um, and so we'll, our next show is going to be actually on um, myths, conspiracy theories, and other fake news uh, with a highlight around this vaccine. Uh, but we'll tackle a lot of different things that people are, that, that again, go back to fear or um, that often people are acting from a place of not having all the facts. So we're, we'll be tackling that conversation, having a couple of physicians working on getting the Surgeon General to join that conversation. And that'll be on the 28th of this month. I love it. I, I got a question for you. So yeah. <clears throat> when Carissa had Johnny here about uh, yeah. two and a half years ago, um, she went in for a C-section and I was reading and doing uh, research on that and that it, the percentage of, uh, problems that could arise, uh, going through a C-section, I was very surprised by, um, and I, I actually would have, um, probably asked her to not go C-section cause she chose to after I read that information. So when you were talking about that, I, I'd love to know why. Um, in yeah. today's age, that it's a right. four times yeah. higher death rate uh, for women of color mm -hmm. um, than it is for everybody else. Can you dig into it a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So there's this there's this thing called um, bias, <laughs> whether it's unconscious or conscious bias, um, and how that translates into healthcare. At Kaiser, we would call it culturally competent care. So there are, we all have bias. We all, when we see someone walking down the street that might look a little based on our experiences, we have a different response. We all have it. Um, the, 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 the growth opportunity is to know it, claim it, learn from it, and hopefully modify it. Uh, in healthcare though, what happens is that this, there are um, assumptions that are made so, for example, um, I, as a, as a C-suite executive <laughs> um, and the owner of our own company, have spent my entire, my entire life, I can't, I, there's only been with few exceptions, where I present as, you know, checking in, whether it's when I was pregnant and I had two C-sections, when I was, um, when I'm going in for a physical, when I'm going in for a problem, what have you, or taking my kids in. I've been, you know, oh, I'm sorry, we don't take Medicaid. And I'm like, who are you talking to? I don't, I mean, there, there are, there are questions around, well, um, you know, when I, when uh, I've asked a question around um, a particular lab result, um, it's, it's, well, you know, you know, because you eat so much fried chicken, I don't eat meat. I mean, just, just assumptions that are made. I don't eat, I, these are, these are true stories. Um, and, and, and there are assumptions that are made just by the color of my skin, that I must be uneducated, that I must be poor, that I must have my health insurance, um, subsidized that. And so there's these assumptions that are just made often by people in the, um, in the clinical setting. And I'm generalizing. There are some amazing gems that are there, but they're honestly right now, they're the exception and not the rule. And partly because you know, it's, it's kind of the blessing and the curse in, um, you know, Kaiser Permanente, I, 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 what I love about them from an evidence-based medicine perspective, they talk a lot about um, population management, which is now has been trending in you know, mainstream healthcare for a while. But um, population management comes with some generalizations and assumptions. That's a good thing. 
So, so you tend to learn from, you know, diabetes, diabetics and, and people with CHF and people with other types of diseases. You tend to learn when you look at populations of people who have that disease or are trending towards that disease. That's a good thing. Where that becomes not such a good thing is when you over extrapolate some of the, the population of, you know, when you're looking at people of color or people of, you know, specific areas of ge geography. And, um, and while some of that might be true, what we need to get back to is how do we look at the individual and, and generate more and have um, come from a place of empathy <laughs> more than we are coming from a place of um, generalization. Uh, and so for me, I think um, there is a big lack of empathy of looking at the individual and understanding the individual first and foremost. So it's just amazing to me that there are a vast, not a majority, hopefully it's not a majority, but there's that many people out there that still think that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, I, and it might be, they might be, it, it might be unconscious. I mean, so, so again, folks that are going, it's, it, it, they're trained that way. But fried chicken school, for Christ's sake. I mean, I like fried yeah, chicken. Well, <laughs> you, I, I think I remember you you winning a chicken eating contest. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, yeah. What's that say about me? It says I like fried chicken. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, and it, it's it's. I mean, it exists in in and um and the only way going back to another reason why I, I um started the pink couch. We don't talk about these things. We don't well, no, talk when, about, when I was when I was putting this about, yeah, when I was putting yeah. this together, I texted you last night or the yeah. night before saying, "Is it okay to talk about this?" Because it, it makes me nervous a little bit. And thank God I know you so well because yeah. there's different people I've talked to in the podcast before yeah. that I wanted to talk about this kind of information, and it's almost like it's such a weird thing that everybody yeah. is so worried yeah. about talking about this shit. And I go, I go back to, I grew up in a town of about less than 2,000 people. When you go to the census today from Mount Carroll, Illinois, it's 98.6% white. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was like seven or eight years old, there was a guy named Dave Boyd who, black guy, married a white girl named Cass. And it was a big uproar in little Mount Carroll, Illinois that this black guy was marrying this white girl. Mm -hmm. And I remember meeting him at church. He went to our church and just the nicest guy ever. Oh, and by the way, nuclear physicist at the nuclear power plant in Byron, Illinois. And I remember my dad said just the most derogatory shit you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And I said, dad, he's a nuclear physicist. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking at seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, what it was that I'm like, my dad is so so confused mm -hmm. because my mom on the other hand is you know the the power behind everything in my life is my mom same thing with chris's mom mm -hmm. my wife's mom and i just remember i'm just like he is so confused and that whole family dave and cass boyd just took over that whole town with their love and mm -hmm. won over everybody and mm -hmm. it reminded me so much of you know, when I was doing research on your grandfather, mm -hmm. the people that have that power to look through all of the bad things that are going on in this world 
and just knocking them all down one by one by one. And I just kind of remembered that. But to to hear you talk about you know this yeah. Yeah. just breaks my heart. And that's why I want to dig into stuff like this because for me, I'm like, are you are you freaking kidding me? So wait, wait, wait. First of all, I didn't know we could cuss. <laughs> but can we do a redo? No. <laughs> this is a podcast. You've been around me a long time. We can cuss. Hell yeah. Um, and then I, can I make a comment about your about not wanting to talk about it? Yeah. So the actually the the first topic we talked about on um, the pink couch was called enough. And it was, I think maybe three weeks after what happened with George Floyd. And, um, and so just bear with me a quick second that, sure. that how we, we were planning something totally different. And I remember the, the, when it happened, when George Floyd happened, I had probably, I had about three to five people re- of my white friends reach out to me. Are you okay? And I was like, first one, I was like, Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm cool. How are you? How's the family? Second one. Are you, I just checking in on you. Hey, I'm good. How are you? Third one, I'm like, what the hell's going on? Do y'all know something? I don't know. And then they're like, just want to make sure you're okay. And then the fourth one that called actually called me and um, we talked probably half of her trip from Houston to um, road trip from Houston to Colorado. And she's like, hey, I just wanted to talk to you around um, how you're doing. And I was like, all right, that's it. What is what, what's happening? And she was like, uh, George Floyd. And I was like, uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> and and she just and she started talking a little more, and I was like, oh, y'all just recognizing what we've known for and we have seen for ever. You know, I can't breathe. A neck, a knee on someone's neck didn't start with George Floyd. <laughs> you know, there were there were many incidents before. The difference is with George Floyd. I mean, there was, it was COVID television all day, every day, you know, even at that point, you know, our, our president, you know, his shenanigans had taken a back burner to, it was COVID all the time. And this was the, we didn't have sports. We couldn't go outside. We couldn't do anything. Kids were not, I mean, home, we couldn't do anything. And so this was an opportunity where more people saw and um, and it took me a minute, and then and then I and I never will see the whole thing. That's just I, I know this how the story ends. Um, and so we talked about it. And one of the things, because I have a lot of my black friends who said, "I'm sick about trying to educate people on on us and our culture. I'm sick about it." And so what we did in the, in that episode, and I'm trying to find it because I was in charge of technology. <laughs> Anyway, I digress. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I, 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 every show that we do, we talk about issues, but the difference for at the end, we don't just talk about it. It's about doing something. So we always reserve some do something. And I took people through an exercise. And one of the things around was it was baked in, it was um, uh, rooted in empathy. And then the, 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 the ask that I had for our, um, for my non-Black friends was to, um, at the end of it, it was a picture that I had not draw with their eyes closed. I said, I want you to frame this. I want you to put it in your house. I want you to take a picture of it and send it to me. I want, and when people come and say, what is that hideous thing that you have framed? You don't have kids that young to draw something so horrible that you're able to tell the story 
around why you should why you should develop empathy. What what what's wrong with this issue? I want and and you gotta talk about it. It's a, it, we we a lot of reasons why we're not there is because it's the great undiscussed. It, and so we you people who look like you, particularly white men, because you're sitting at the top of the food chain. It won't change until the John Zinks of the world are having the conversation. And on the flip side, what I challenge every single one of my black friends: so you're okay with how things are? And they're like, no. But if so, you 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 have an opportunity to educate, to bring someone along, and and you're missing out on that. That defies common sense. And so I think both have opportunities here. And what I have noticed um, since that time, I've had more and more and more conversations around that. And to me, and, and with, with the John Zinks of the world and the Johnetta Zinks of the world, and I love it. I love it. And I think change can, can happen, but talk about it. We don't talk about it at work because it's, oh, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, it's uncomfortable, but you can see that I'm Black. <laughs> I can see, I mean... And, and, you know, there's political, whatever, um, you know, but asking from a place of empathy, I don't, I think you can never go wrong. And even starting with, this might be uncomfortable. Tell me if it, what I, I I'm about extending grace. And I think, you know, um, and, and I believe others will extend grace when they know you're coming from a place of empathy. Well, I agree. And uh, I, I was so looking forward to having this conversation just because of what you just said. I think yeah. as long as there's conversations about yeah. everything and anything and, you know, freedom of speech is everything, we should be able to talk about everything. And that's the only way we're going to get somewhere, Yep. you know? So, um, yeah, the, the, the whole summer between COVID and then what happened to George Floyd and then what was going on through America, it was just, uh, yeah, unbelievable, you know, yeah. for, for me as a white man, Growing up in a town of 98.6% white people, yeah, I don't get it. And that's yeah. because, you know, until I moved to California, mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're one of, you know, a couple of handfuls of black friends I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Not my fault. It's just the way it is. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, living in that little bubble. Mm-hmm. You know, all I, all I know is the people I know. And this, I was doing some research, getting ready for our conversations today, and I was reading through all this stuff about, you know, um, educating myself on kind of what was going on and how, how to uh, have empathy for the Black Lives Matter and all the rest of this stuff. And there was one thing that uh, almost made me laugh. It was like, it, it was telling a white person to go out and consciously try to make black friends. And I'm like, uh, I don't like to go out and make new friends anyway. And it's like, I, like I, I know you and I met on a blind date. Yes. <laughs> and it was a blind date that you, uh, your ex-husband and I set up and then yep. Carissa, my wife and you both didn't want to go on it <laughs> because we had set it up. And it's like, yes. I just thought back to when yeah. we met, I wasn't looking for a black friend. I wasn't looking for a white friend. I wasn't looking for an Asian friend. I was looking for a friend. Right. And it was just like, I'm trying to, I was, I was reading through that last night and just going, 
this is laughable. And that came from CNN, by the way. And I'm just like, all right, they're telling me to go out and do this. This is ridiculous. You know, it's just like, and you also can't be colorblind. Like some right. people say, that's just stupid. So it's just, it, uh, for, for me, just having this conversation is so refreshing and I appreciate you doing it. Um, you know what I love is that you didn't, you didn't say, I don't see color. Cause I, I mean, I, and I know why people say, have said that, but in this, I, I think what I'd love for all, and you didn't say this, but I'd love for people to transition to, it's okay to see color. <laughs> it is okay. Um, what we do need, what we need to do is start accepting our diversity. Yeah. Yeah. I am one of uh, how many million black women and there's significant diversity amongst us <laughs> and that's okay. I love it. That's how you get to change. So, so yeah. speaking of black women, um, yeah. you've got a 26 year old named Jasmine. Yay. And a uh, little boy, no more, named Jure, who's 24. And yes. it makes me feel old when I see pictures of them on Facebook because uh, now they're grown, grown adults, for God's sake. Yeah, I know. What are they up to? You know, um, it's, they are. So Jasmine is here with me, not here with me physically. She actually lives about a mile away. Um, she is third year med student at Georgetown. And not surprising. I mean, this is the girl that read an encyclopedia at, I don't know, three, four, I don't know, whatever she definitely <laughs> like to do for fun. Um, and she also has a side hustle of personal trainer, which is, I don't know how you do that in med school. Um, so she's, she's doing well. Um, I have her actually, I've, I've, I wouldn't say hire her cause I'm not paying her, but <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm making her call me every day and make me do five minute worth of exercise but she's doing she's doing phenomenal um Jeray, he is actually out there in the bay he's in san francisco um despite my attempts to get him to move to the east coast he's out in um in um in san francisco now he's the one that uh, when he <laughs> i was like oh you want to go to college i <laughs> i was worried about that one i was worried and i was trying to make peace with it but no, he's doing exceptional. He's a tremendous um, young man. Um, and it's interesting as you were talking about how we met on the blind date. For those listeners out there, just so you know what type of human John is, um, my then husband at the time, that sounds like I had like six or seven of them. That's <laughs> <laughs> number seven. No, my, um, my, so when I was married, <laughs> um, he, he was out of the country and for, I remember for Jure's 10th birthday, you're like, you, you said, can I take him? And so you, John came, you got Jure, you spent the day with him. We all went to a baseball game, went to see the Giants, went to ride your bikes. He, he um, that's the type of human you are. You spent the whole day with, with someone that wasn't your kid <laughs> for his 10th birthday. And he still talks about that. So um, just a little shout out for, of, of love for you. And, uh, but they're doing exceptional. They're doing really, really well. You know, you, as, as a parent, you know, that you're, you just, that's what you, that's your hope for your kids is just that they are happy, thriving, productive human beings. <laughs> well, Johnny's two and a half right now and he's yeah. nowhere close to reading an encyclopedia. So great. <laughs> You got time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. He came from me. <laughs> so you're back, like you said before, you're back in your hometown of D.C. What, what yeah. do you love about D.C.? 
Oh my gosh. So I am a, um, I am a urban girl. I mean, I, I love the hustle and bustle, not where, I mean, I don't like to be like, but there's like fifth Avenue of New York. That's way too much hustle bustle. So I like to be on the, the edge of, um, of, you know, being able to walk to restaurants and bars, you know, back in the day when you could do that. Um, you know, I like being in a place where there's um, sp major sports teams. I like being able to hop. And we're not going to talk about who's good or who's not. I like to be able to hop on a uh, on a plane or get in my car in in nanoseconds, be in New York or Pennsylvania or wherever. It's you know you can state hop relatively easy. I love the diversity that exists here. Um, I, one of the things when I was moving back a little over a year ago and I was coming to check out the place that I'm in now um, about 10 years ago, because I'm right around the corner from um, Howard University, I would I probably wouldn't have lived here. Why? Because it was 99.9% .9 black folks. I don't want to be anywhere where there's all of one thing. <laughs> I just don't. I like diversity. And I was coming down the street and there was this white woman walking on a bike with her dog. And there was, you know, a few gay couples, interracial gay couples. There's an old black couple. There's an old white couple. I think the folks across the street might be selling some drugs. I, it just is pretty, it's very diverse. And I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. So I love that. But more than everything, um, I was born here. Um, so I was literally born in Washington, D.C. in Walter Reed Hospital. Um, lived in Maryland, all up and down Maryland for um, the first 11 years of my life. A lot of my family is here. My grandfather, you mentioned, is, is, is here um, and so I wanted to come being an empty nester. I wanted to be close to family. And, uh, so that's the biggest, the biggest win for me is being close to family that I can't see cause they're too old and I don't want to give them COVID. <laughs> well, let me, uh, let me talk about this for a second. So, uh, your grandfather, uh, Lieutenant General Julius Becton Jr. Yes. Um, Colin Powell counts him as a mentor. He's a trailblazer and one of the USA's most dedicated public servants. Um, served in the Cold War, Korean War, and Vietnam War. Uh, Distinguished Service Medal, two Silver Medals, two Legion of Merit Medals, two Purple Hearts. And uh, I read up on this. So he, he was sent to Germany to, uh, I'm not sure what he was doing over there. I can't remember everything I was uh, <laughs> looking into yesterday. But he was sent in there, and Germany's like, uh, listen, uh, this, this black guy's not going to be able to do this. So uh, whatever. And then by the time he got done going in there and taking care of everything, they gave him uh, Germany's uh, merit, uh, the Knight Commander's Cross of the Merit of Germany. So when he came in, when he was positioned there, they were like, this ain't going to work. And then by the time they got, by the time he got done, they gave him a medal of honor for what he had done over there. Yeah. So um, after he got done with that, uh, he became the director of foreign disaster assistance, and then he was the director of FEMA under Ronald Reagan. Yep. Wasn't done there. Then he went into education, and uh, has he stopped working yet? He's in his 90s, right? <laughs> he's in his 90s. Yeah, he's in his 90s. Yeah, he's finally, um, he's finally stopped working. Um, but yeah, it, it's, that is my, that's my dude. Um, he is he is why I am, um, period. And it's interesting, um, for me thinking about role models and mentors, um, his life is just a testimony of, of 
of leadership of of really puckering up and kissing dragons. Oftentimes he would go somewhere and was this guy's not for us because he's bold. He's fearless. He is um, and he is um, he's tough on people, but it's because he is um, he oozes empathy. Um, he believes in fighting for what's right. And um, I am thankful that that's, that is, that's the bar for me. Um, right now I'm, I'm woefully short of that bar, but that's the bar for me. And, you know, he's, he is, um, he is exceptional. He is an exceptional human being. I quote him often. Um, you know, he, it's, it's the, the times that I'm around, like I have, um, one of Colin Powell's, um, leadership PowerPoints and, um, excuse me, I should say had back to technology. It died. I don't know where it is. <laughs> it's in, probably in some cloud somewhere. Um, <laughs> but I use often and, and, you know, he, like you said, he, like you said, he credits my, my grandfather for a lot and opening up a lot of doors. I remember um, trying to get in to a meeting when I went on my own, when I left corporate America and started Bamboo Roots and um, yep, I did a name drop. <laughs> and this guy I was like, hey, you know, great conversation. Da, 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 da. And he was just dismissing, dismissing, dismissing. And he was, a, he was actually um, a, a, um, a general. And, um, and I said, I think you know my grandfather. And he, and I, he was like, oh, who's your grandfather? Uh, and I told him, he stopped, told the guy next to him, cancel my next meeting. And we had a whole conversation. Um, and that's the kind of respect that he, he has he absolutely deserves, and I'm biased, but he absolutely deserves because he has done a lot for our country, 100%. Well, in uh, doing research for uh, getting ready for this podcast today, I found uh, the Library of Congress had uh, a video of him um, with his, his autobiography was coming out. And usually I just go through and I find a couple little talking points and stuff like that. And I watch the whole freaking thing because he's just... He, he, you can see that he does ooze that charisma. Yeah. You know, there was interesting things. There were funny things. It's like, it, and I, I, I told myself, I'm like, ah, this is where Robin came from because <laughs> you know, when, when Carissa and I got together and met you, it was just always a, such a fun time sitting around. There was always interesting conversation. It was always caring. There's always empathy and there's always fun, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? And it's, uh, it was really interesting to do that. So um, now he dealt with racism, prejudice, yeah. and segregation mm -hmm. um, back in the day when it was pretty much the rule of the land. Mm -hmm. um, the things that he changed by doing the things he did and being such a big figure, has it been hard for you ever uh, over the years living up to being in someone's quote unquote shadow like mm -hmm. that, like somebody so such a big presence like your grandfather? You know, um, no, I, I, I think it, it's, it's part of my DNA where, yeah, I, I love the name of the, your podcast of true ambition. Um, you know, I, I, I stumbled upon this, this statement, um, a while ago around, you know, how big is your ambition? In part, that's been part of my DNA, my earliest memory where, um, where, uh, you know, I was second grade and running for student government <laughs> and I 
one. <laughs> and just this, this level of fearlessness that, that I credit a, a lot for just, just his story, his testimony um, in paving the way. And I just kind of look at it that my problems are like this. His problems were like this. His accountability, like this. Mine, not so much. And so it, to me, it, it's, it is just, um, I, I don't spend a lot of time in fear. I don't give it energy. Um, and for me, it's not so much as putting, putting pressure on myself. I definitely, um, I allow myself to have grace. And a lot of that has come with gray hair and, and, <laughs> and, and age, if you will. But um, no, I, I, um, you know, I, I, I am a pretty ambitious human. Um, and, um, I, I, I'd like to believe that I inherited his empathy as well as his toughness and fearlessness. And so I, I'm proud. Um, I'm honored to call him my grandfather. Um, cause he, he's pretty badass. And you know, one thing they, they named the, the FEMA training center after him. So he has a building named after him as well. So just wanted to get that out there. <laughs> that <laughs> happened, I think, a couple of years ago. So anyway, yeah, no, I um, yeah, I, I am, I am honored. I am a proud uh, granddaughter, and being, um, I, I he military, he he numbers us. So I, I was granddaughter number two, granddaughter number one. My my sister, you know, she yeah, there's one in every family. She's doing her thing. <laughs> So when I I would MC his 90th birthday, I MC'd his um, his uh, his my my he, he and my grandmother who passed last year um, their 70th wedding anniversary, um, and every time I would say you know I'm granddaughter number two, but in military you close the ranks and now I'm granddaughter number one, um, and I and I know that um, I am more more focused on my cousins and others that are underneath me to make sure that I'm trying to set some sort of example for them. And that's just, that's, you know, just something that I think comes with being a, a Becton. <laughs> well, 70 years of marriage. I mean, did, yeah. when did they get married? How old were they? Uh, I know eight. No, <laughs> 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 they were young. They were, they were, they were like early twenties. Was it like high school sweetheart type thing? They were in, yeah, they were in rival high schools. Yeah. In Pennsylvania. Yeah. Well, that's Lower amazing. Yeah. Yep. So, um, question about the media. So, um, do you think that the media helps or hinders race relations in the U S Great question. And I'm going to give a, I'm going to give a politician answer. I think it's both. Um, I definitely think it's both. Uh, the help part is that it's being discussed in a different way. Um, I think, and that's kind of, I think that's evolved over the years um, where there's, there is conversation around race and the challenges of race, um, you know, coronavirus and talking about um, you know, the disparities that are happening in communities of color um, and, and giving a, a platform to issues that people, George Floyd, giving, no, not that he asked for a platform, but being, a, but providing that, that, that platform for others to see what's happening. I think that's, you, you can't, 
get over it if you're not talking about it or showing it. Where I think it's it is um, hurtful um, is you know not all not all media mediums and medias are created equal. Um, and uh, I think what has happened in the media, particularly in our news areas, is that there are, I remember there used to be reporters and journalists. Now there's commentators and, <laughs> and, and, um, and like boxing ring callers. I mean, it's just, it is just, um, that to me is, is um, yeah, I, 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 I don't believe that is as helpful. Um, yeah, I, I like, I tend to like um, news to be more along the lines of weather, meaning the facts are the facts. Right, right. Data. <laughs> it's raining. Yeah, we, <laughs> we, we, ha rain. <laughs> we have data and we have information and here it is. Yeah. You know, I, I think export. that, yeah. I, think that uh, I totally agree with you because I, I've had conversations with people before that as soon as they had money that was put behind ads that have to keep people on all the time, you know, to yeah. 24 hour news, yeah. you know, I think it just uh, ruined yeah. it. And then you've got Facebook, you've got all these different yeah. things that keep people on those mediums and uh, just another reason to keep somebody on a platform. And yeah. uh, it was in the middle of COVID I, I, I made a conscious choice to get off of watching all news getting myself mm. off of Facebook as much as possible, except to post a picture of Johnny every once in a while. Mm. Um, and my happiness level went through the roof. Mm. You know, mm. every once in a while I checked some of my news online or something like that. But other than that, I just got off of it altogether. And it's just, mm. I, I, oh my gosh, mm. I, I just, I, I yeah. couldn't get off of it fast enough. Yeah. And you know, it's just, it was, it was horrible. And then it turned yeah. it my, all of my, all of my bad thoughts went to good thoughts after that because most of the time the thoughts in my head are great and they were getting worse and worse every moment that I was sticking to those mediums. And you, you know, I, I think there's, the, I, I subscribe to that. Um, although I didn't disconnect, I, I, I have to inundate and then, okay, I'm done. Um, but, but I do believe that when you are, when you are surrounded by negativity, it just, it has to, it's like a bad fart. <laughs> It just it did sticks you, to everything. Did, did you smell Ed? I think <laughs> is it coming through the Zoom? I mean, it just sticks to everything, and so <laughs> and and yeah, you know, and there's something to be said that by if you are if you are in toxic relationships, toxic environments, it starts to permeate, and and conversely, when if you are in positive, it just helps to it permeates. So I, 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 there's definitely something to that, hundred percent. So when, uh, when everything was going down this summer, and uh, you had uh, all your white friends calling you about asking how you were, um, the serious part of it is, um, when this is all going down, did you have conversations with your kids? Mm. Um, and what were they? Wait, you can probably hear the, the <laughs> police sirens. <laughs> it's been all night given what's happening like a, two miles from my house. Um, yeah, so, so th those, are, those are frequent conversations. Um, you know, the first one that I did, I, the first conversation I have had and I have every time is with my son. And um, I made him every morning for, I don't know, about two, three weeks 
you will call me and you will text me every morning <laughs> just to say, I'm alive, have a good day or whatever. Um, it, it, you just hug a little bit tighter, a little bit closer. Um, and, um, and that, so I, I will correct what I've been saying. That is my fear, my, the well-being and safety of my children and of other people's children that have been my, yeah, just, just, that is my, my biggest fear. Um, and so it is a, it's a conversation. I know that was something else that was brought to light that, you know, it, it's, it's just a conversation that every, every black family has with their kids. Um, I can't even remember the first time I had it with my kids and it's an ongoing one. It never stopped. Um, it, it never stops. And it, it's, it's every lesson, every death, every opportunity, everything that's in the news. I always take it as an opportunity to remind to, you know, and I just, I tell my son, um, given the story you were sharing earlier, he, he lives with his girlfriend. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> and she's, and she's white. And I, you know, I would tell him and remember you're black. Um, because there still exists, even in the Bay Area, even it still exists, this, this notion of the looks and the, and the issue and the people who have big problems with that. And because the temperature is so high right now in our country, um, I, I just, I worry about that. And so it's a, it's a never ending conversation. I mean, my kids and I, we were texting this morning about it. So it, it's, it's, it's part of our, how you doing? Did you see that play by that defensive back? And remember you're black. It's just an ongoing conversation more so over the past several months, um, past several years than it has been um, just again, given the temperature, I just, I just worry about, I just worry about them. So as, as a black parent, mm -hmm. um, does this start from the time they're born? Uh, yeah. It, it, from the time they can comprehend <laughs> It, it, you have the conversation about what to say, what to do, um, how to act, how to act with your white friends. I mean, we, you know where we grew up. My kids um, spent a good chunk of time in Danville. Um, I think Whiteville. The, Whiteville. <laughs> 0.1% black. I mean, and the black folks are like E40 and other rich folks who, <laughs> I mean, there, there wasn't, you know, and Sully. I mean, Captain Did E40 Sully. grow up there? He lived there. He lived I know. There I'm, I'm just. I'm just no. kidding. I'm just kidding about that. Oh, okay. No, he oh, moved there. I know you know that, Mr. Music Man. <laughs> no, but I mean, and then you know, like Sully was our neighbor. <laughs> he lived right up the street. So, so you know, he hung out with. He had a lot of white friends. There were like, you know, six black kids in the school. When my kids left, it went down fifty percent. That's not real math. But in any event, um, so it's a, it's um, yeah, it is it was always an ongoing conversation. Sorry, you can't do what they do. I mean, in general, forget being black, you know, in my household, my kids, you can't do, you can't do what everyone else does. But you know, you, you can't, you cannot do what others do, right, wrong, or indifferent. It is what it is. And I, I tell my daughter as a, as a woman, as a girl, sorry, you, it, it would be nice is as a young girl, you could walk in, you could walk by yourself at 1 a.m. in the morning, but you can't. <laughs> I wish you could, but you can't. Um, that's just, it's not safe for women to do that alone. It's not safe for um, black, black men to be in some such situations, particularly, um, and I hate to say involving police, um, 
Um, you know, I, I have to say, um, actually, my, my heart rate um, has finally gone down. It used to be up until I would say about two, two years ago, my heart rate would increase when I would see a police officer. Um, and I'm, I'm a tax abiding woman with no criminal <laughs> record, <laughs> you know, um, and, and my heart rate would go, would go up. I, I have had billy clubs pulled out on me. I've had, I've seen, I've seen the injustice. And interestingly, I don't blame the individual. I blame the system. Um, and, you know, and so, um, you know, I, I, and it's not the system of just the police system. It's the, this country was founded on racism. I mean, we invaded the Indians land. I mean, come on. <laughs> and it just snowballed from there. Um, so, uh, well, invaded the Indians land with slaves from Africa. I mean, come on. We, we just, it, it was founded on racism. Anyone who chooses to not, it, they're, they're, you're not based in fact. And so um, it's part of our history, part of our culture. Um, and it, it just is what it is. And, and until we start to unravel some of the systemic issues, it's going to continue. It's not about more training. It isn't about more training because there's, they managed to not kill white people at the same rate. It's not about that. It, there's a complete overhaul that needs to happen. Anyway, I, I digress, but. <laughs> well, no, I, I'm thinking about, you know, I, be, because Johnny's so big, I usually put him down at night, you know, cause it's hard for Carissa to put him over the side of the crib. And uh, I'll sit there and say our prayers together at night while I'm holding him. And uh, yeah, my biggest fear that I have with him is that I'll die too early. Mm. That's, all, that's all I got. You know, mm. I, I don't, I don't, just to think about the fears that wow. you have to think, live with on a daily basis is absolutely mind-boggling to me. I've known yep. you for all these years mm -hmm. and have no clue that this is what my friends have to deal with. Yep. So my, my, my favorite thing about this podcast is I get to actually know all my friends. <laughs> you know, because it, it's, it, it's, it's something that we all need to know about each other. It and it'll help, it'll help open up all these lines of communication between all of us. So we can understand yeah. what the hell's going on with our fellow Americans. And, and you know, the other, the other, um, you know, the other um, love fest that I'll, I'll have with you and Carissa, um, you, I'm sure you remember this incident at, at your house. Um, I think it was her brother. <laughs> was a, um, made some derogatory comment and I didn't have to say a word. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't have to. Why? Because you and Carissa just rained holy hell on his ass. <laughs> and I, I'm like, that's, that's, and I, and I share that one just as a, you know, as a friend as someone who loves you and your family. And, um, and again, going back to, it, it is those moments that is when things are going to change. I have another guy who was also a co-author of the, um, the Kiss Your Dragons book, um, Michael Harper. Um, we did a, um, we did a anti-conference, an unconference, uh, I think back in October. And um, it was around um, diversity and inclusion. And it was really about sticking, sticking up the middle finger to the traditional ways that 
corporations have just, you know, kind of had your diversity and inclusion starter pack and then, okay, we're, we're cool. And, um, and so he was, he's always the one that says, um, I've always known him to be the one that says, okay, okay. Now when you think about diversity, just, he would always say this regardless of what topic we're talking about, you know, there's too many white people in this conversation. We need to bring constantly. And so as we were planning for this conference, unconference, he says, um, he's, I said, you know, it'd be great as a, as an editor and as a great storyteller, um, and he oozes, um, this word around empathy. I said, it would be amazing for you to do kind of a, a, a quick Ted talk type segment. He's like, okay. And, um, and then we were talking once at dinner and he said, um, you know, I think I'm gonna call it, I'm a racist. And I just laughed. He's like, no, seriously. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, if I'm gonna put on the spectrum of racist, you're kind of hanging out there <laughs> in the Martin Luther King end of things. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, what? And he just said, you know, I still have bias. Again, everyone has bias. And I was like, that's amazing. And then it's, it's interesting when I had the, when I was telling you about the folks who called me and um, I was, I was talking to someone and I, and at, at um, that was a part of this organization that we um, uh, both were contracted with. And I, I said, I'm surprised I have not heard from Michael. And I said, I don't say that in any sort of way of like, I'm disappointed. I'm just like, I, I, but I was, there was a little bit of me that was disappointed. And then, um, and then um, he, I overheard a conversation he was having about how he spent his weekend. It was, you know, he lives in Kentucky and he was, um, he spent the weekend um, at protest at the protest. This was back when all the protests were happening. I was like in Kentucky, they protest. any event he was, he said he and a number of people were standing there linked arm in arm to protect the black protesters. Oh, I'm getting teary eyed. <laughs> um, that is when it will change. And um, I'm getting a little teary eyed because I'm also getting a gazillion of text messages. Cause again, what's happening two miles away and people are worried about um, safety for me. Um, and um, yeah, so anyway, I'm getting, it, it's just, it's, it's, I, I'm encouraged. And yet I'm still sad that we are where we are. And even though this isn't all about race, what's happening up the street, there's significant racial undertones that are, that are happening. And, you know, I was accidentally trapped in a <laughs> demonstration a few weeks ago because I was watching sports and didn't realize there was a demonstration and um, was surrounded by a number of proud boys. So that was not fun. So anyway, I digress. <laughs> it's a little moment because they are all over my town. So anyway. Well, these are, these are, these are great conversations because uh, for me in my world, I mean, Ed and I were talking prior to uh, us having this conversation. So I told him about some of the things we we're going to talk about. Yeah. And uh, you know, we're, we're in such a bubble. I mean, we, we yeah. don't, we don't even realize it. And uh, I appreciate you talking about it so candidly because this is, these are the things that I need to hear. Everybody needs to hear. So uh, I appreciate you talking about it. So now yes. we have a big question we need to ask people. This is something we need to clear up for everybody. So yeah, when right. somebody tells you you're going to a cocktail party, <laughs> what exactly does that entail? Okay. <laughs> to me, cocktail party and I'm no Google or no Webster, you know, aficionado, but cocktail party signifies black tie affair, ah. tuxedo, fancy dress, you know, lots of makeup and heels. 
That's what cocktail party. And I would venture if we were to do a poll, that would be, I'm going to venture that that would be more than 95% of individuals would agree with that definition. All right. So here's the backstory for everybody. So uh, Carissa's birthday party, which was back in October, uh, my surprise for Carissa was to get a hold of Robin and uh, Robin flew in and uh, she said, this is like a month, a-, a month ahead of time or something. I said, I think it's going to be cocktail or something like that. She's okay. So then she flies in, comes in for the surprise and everybody in there is like in jeans. <laughs> and, uh, maybe like uh, some people were dressed up a little bit, but uh, no. Robin and, and is it Thomas with a fancy top. <laughs> oh yeah. It was it Thomas that was with you? Yes, yes. Okay. He comes in full tux and Robin's got this beautiful flowing gown on. And uh she just comes up to me and she says, I'm gonna fucking kill you. <laughs> I'm like walking in and I I tell this story probably once a week because it is hilarious. I'm walking in and Carissa's on the other side of the room. So I literally, and I'm walking fast. I'm trying to get to her before she turns around and I'm walking and I'm surveying the room and everyone's looking at me for, I think two reasons. One, cause I was clearly sticking out like a sore thumb with a fancy dress. And there was only a few black people there. <laughs> and, and I'm sure they were probably like, Oh, she must be the entertainment. <laughs> I, look, I mean, I was in complete hair, makeup dress. I was, oh. It was hilarious. And I'm like, yeah, that was, that was awesome. I'm so glad that we did that. That was awesome. Okay. So I think I already know uh, the answers to a couple of their questions I had here. They're probably going to go back to uh, uh, your grandfather. So I'm not going to ask you about those. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I'm going to ask you is the same thing I ask everybody at the end of the True Ambition podcast. So True Ambition And the name of this and the name of the book that I'm working on right now, True Ambition, come from a 12-step program that I went through. Uh, It says, the true ambition is not what we thought it was. True ambition is the profound desire to live usefully and walk humbly under the grace of God. Mm. Uh, When I read that uh, about five plus years ago, it kind of changed my perspective and changed my life because I've always been ambitious. And I think I was just earlier on in life ambitious for the wrong things. Uh, when I change things up to kind of be a servant and uh, try to not just make money, not get laid, you know, not get power, to try to go out and help other people, um, that's when my life really changed. So the people I talk to, um, they've all gone through something to lead them to where they are today. So my my final question for you is, what is your true ambition, uh, mm-hmm. both in your personal life? and in your professional life moving forward? Um, and that is, I, you know, I, that is one of those questions. That's a, mm, that's a dope question. Um, and I, I, as, as I was saying earlier around being ambitious, um, my ambition, how I define ambition has changed over the years. So I would, um, uh, I, I, I would chase positions, roles, organizations based on the who and the what. Who in terms of, ooh, that's a very well-known company and, or, you know, oh, that's a really cool leader. Um, so who in terms of the company level, the individual level. The what, what, the what was um, in terms of, you know, okay, 
whatever I'm going to be doing was kind of secondary. And I'm sorry that the third thing actually was in how much. <laughs> and so when I was younger, how much was number one and then what, and then who, and then as I aged and, and, you know, the, 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 the order shift shifted. Um, but I would say over the past um, five years, four or five years, it's not who, it's not what, it's not how much, but it's why. It's my why. Um, I, I fell into healthcare. Um, you know, I'm a sports fanatic. Go Buffs, go Lakers, go Steelers. Um, and um, I thought I lived with football players in college. I worked for the head coach when we won national championship. I, I go all over the country when it's not COVID to games. And um, on accident, I, well, not accident, I followed a stupid boy after college to, um, in, in, out of state. And I said, oh, let me just take this job here at Blue Cross Blue Shield. <clears throat> and <clears throat> day 88 of a 90 day waiting period, back in the day when you had those for your health insurance kicked in, I had to go to the ER. Day 89, I had to go back because they botched what they did in day 88. Day 120, the bill started rolling in because my health insurance hadn't kicked in. And then going back to my roots as, uh, again, the servant leader, I'm like, this is not okay. This is inhumane. And, um, and so I decided in that moment that I would forego my sports love in terms of working in that space, but just make sure I'm the best fan that I can be. Um, but my, my, my who, what, and how much was my, what of that was really around, I don't want other people to, um, have to have to go through what I went through from a, and that's mostly from a financial standpoint. Um, and, and I've always wanted to help people in terms from a healthcare setting, my why now, given whether it's the pink couch, um, or, you know, me leaving, um, corporate America and, and starting my own thing. My why is, um, I have a lot of, um, passion. I have a lot of runway. I have a lot of, I have a network. I have assets at my disposal that can be used to help a lot of people. And so my why is, you know, I, I hope at my, um, um, before I say that, I, I, I going back to how the, the definition of ambition, I, I believe God put me on this earth to, to serve a purpose to help masses of people. I didn't know what it was until fairly to the last probably five years. Hence why I wrote a book, hence why I started Pink Couch, hence why I left the um, corporate America. And so what I hope in my, it's for me, personal and professional are, are one. I don't separate. I'm the same Robin as a mother, as a friend, as a girlfriend, as a wife, as an employee, as a, I'm the same. And what I hope people say about me, I tend to measure things that, you know, when, you know, looking backward or when it's all said and done, you know, when I, at my funeral, um, hopefully people come (laughs) and I don't want them to talk about, oh, she put on a really good workshop or she could write a really doggone strategic plan. Um, She wrote a really good book. But I, what I hope people say is how I was able to enhance their lives, those around them and others. Um, whatever that may be in a small or, or a large way. I believe that um, as a servant leader and as a servant of God, that is my role. Um, I won't get preachy and say that's everyone's role, but 
but I, I, I believe that's my role. Um, and as the granddaughter, number two, close ranks, number one, um, that's the, that's the legacy as a Becton that I, I'm, I, I am obligated and honored to leave. So. Awesome. Well, I love it. Uh, I will get preachy and tell everybody out there who's uh, <laughs> listening and watching this, if you want to be successful, go out and serve other people. Yes. Um, if you yep. want to keep doing what you're doing right now, keep doing it and see how that works. Yep. Um, yep. That's where we're going to leave it. Uh, we love you. And I uh, thank you so much for joining us here today. And uh, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in to True Ambition. And we'll see you next time. The True Ambition podcast is brought to you by IT Avalon. For more information and links to other episodes, please visit www.trueambition.org. Now, go find your true ambition. Ambition.